Welcome back to the Pilgrim Faith Podcast, where human wonder fuels the quest for Christian wisdom. Today, I'm once again joined by my good and faithful co-host, Mr. Dale Stenberg, here broadcasting from the city of Garland, Texas. Uh, Dale has been visiting me for a couple of days. If you're if you're listening to the uh, to, to the to the podcast instead of seeing it on YouTube, uh, you'll miss the the special charm of us just sitting next to each other, having this. Uh, Dale having his whiskey. I have my uh, my good trusty beer from my friend Wade here. Um, uh, and one of the things we've been doing as we've uh, been talking over the last week and working on all sorts of important projects, because of course that's what we do. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things we've been talking about is sort of a typical Christian approach to media. This has been a this has been a big topic that we've talked about privately on and off for a couple of years. Uh, and recently, uh, I read an article that was a, a sort of review of the recent Netflix show, The Queen's Gambit. Right. Uh, and if you've seen The Queen's Gambit, of course, that's been all the rage yes. <laughs> in, the, in the past couple of months. But uh, I read this review, and it seemed to me to have this kind of very shallow, it was, it was one of these reviews, of course, it was, it was from a kind of conservative media outlet. And it was one of these reviews that you can tell as sort of being the fuddy-duddy review. You know, it was the, it was the review that says like, well, everybody's, everybody's enjoying the show right now. So why don't I complain about it? Right. You know, like there's a whole genre of that. Yes. Uh, uh, so this fellow writes this review and basically his critique boiled down to something along the lines of, first of all, there's not a whole lot of morality to be drawn from chess. Uh, and that raised my ire, and right. I could I could talk about that, but I won't. Sure. <laughs> uh, uh, but the other thing he raised was sort of like there wasn't really a uh, there wasn't really heroism in the tale uh, because this particular character uh, this particular character never really helps anybody but themselves. Right. Uh, and that struck me as so uh, uh, morally and interpretively innocuous. Uh, that we thought today we'll talk about this because it's actually an important subject. It's important to understand, I think, in a deep way, uh, how stories and how media communicates morality and moves us, uh, how it does that in, in ways that we don't think it's doing it, and how it's not doing it in ways that we do think it's doing it. And so a really important conversation is just what is it, what is actually happening to us when we sit in front of a story, mm -hmm. you know, and we when we go watch that film or we read that novel or we confront a piece of art, what is inevitably happening to the human being in the presence of, of, that, of, of, that, of that artifact, if you will? Um, and maybe Dale, I could you know, throw to you. So that's, that's sort of a question. You know, what is our typical approach? What is sort of the evangelical? And again, this is not to, you know, to crap on evangelicals or something. We're both conservative evangelicals. Sure. We wanna be, we're proud of it. We like our tradition. Yep. Uh, nevertheless, in our communities, maybe there's a tendency, uh, there, there are certain tendencies on the ground in the way that we approach cultural artifacts. And I guess fair to ask you, like, what do you see when, you, when you're talking to your, your average fellow Christian, what do you see as kind of the, the kind of default, the default settings of their approach to cultural artifacts? Yeah, it's a good question. Joe and I actually argued about this for a couple hours this morning. <laughs> it was a good conversation, and that's why I think we wanted to just talk about it and see where it goes. So this is very unscripted and sort of off the off the cuff. So if we say anything, just give us grace because, you know, we're still working through all this as well. I think there's, um, there's, a, there's an impulse for Christians to try to find uh, the 
morality of the actions of characters and stories. That way we can walk away and say, okay, this story is about X, Y, and Z. This is how we, you know, uh, should understand things like courage or strength or honesty or integrity or marriage or whatever. Um, and if the character displays these things, then, you know, we sort of slap the label of hero on them. Mm -hmm. um, whereas with Queen's Gambit, and for those who haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's a series on Netflix. I think you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, and it's about this young orphan, uh, this young um, female orphan, and she gets adopted. Uh, but before she gets adopted, she learns how to play chess from, I think he's a janitor. Yeah. Um, and she falls in love with chess and she ends up being real good at it. And uh, spoiler alerts, um, she goes on to make a name for herself in the chess world. Yeah. Specifically as a woman, because yeah. women are not in that world at this point in history. Yeah. Um, but she develops a drinking problem. And um, she has to, because she rises to a level of popularity and fame and she's in the magazines and she's getting the invites to all the real big chess tournaments. And uh, as a result, she feels pressure. She has this horrible childhood. She starts drinking a lot. Yeah. Um, and she actually has to overcome that if she's going to continue her career in chess. Right. And she does that successfully. Yeah. Uh, so one of the critiques of the critique that Joe's talking about is that, no, there was actually a moral component to this story. She was heroic in the fact that she overcame a vice in order to pursue her craft. Yeah. And this is to say nothing about the morality of chess. And Joe and I have been playing a ton of chess since I've been here. Um, we both love the game deeply. Uh, but that tells you that when you get a, a, a an editor that comes along and thinks it's a good idea to criticize this Netflix series because it doesn't contain any moral lessons, just how shallow their understanding of what stories are supposed to be doing. Right. Um, and that's really where our conversation was going. Yeah. So I guess the, I guess where we could start is, and Joe's much better. Joe has a degree in film. So he, you know, oh no, it's in humanities. Oh, oh, uh, that's right. But yeah, you took classes in. Film. I did classes in. Film. Right, right, right. Yeah, um, that that could distort your understanding of film just to be. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> There's some crazy things in there. Yes, <laughs> um, but I guess what what we could start with is just by saying, what is it that we're actually doing when we encounter a story through any medium? Yeah. What, what is it that's going on with us in a phenomenological sense yeah. uh, when we read uh, the Odyssey or when we see Queen's Gambit or when we watch Captain Marvel? Or, yeah. yeah, this is where the, the, the morality of this kind of media question, I think, you know, the more profound questions were, were asked by people like Augustine and these are big questions all the way through the 19th century is you know, should we subject ourselves to the, to the, to the sort of musings of the theater? Uh, because a good, a good director, now there's badly told stories, there's lame films out there, but, but, but a good director is a person who can 
make you feel for the most part whatever you want he wants he or she wants you to feel yeah uh, they can they can, they can put you in a position to be sympathetic with whatever character they want you to be sympathetic with. They do that through music and all sorts of all sorts of sort of sort of amalgam of of, of uh, you know an amalgam of, of skills, if you will. Um, and so, in the the kind of older model, I think there is uh, even though most of the church and most Christians actually disagree with the sort of don't read novels, don't go to the theater sort of approach that moral impulse was coming from a pretty insightful evaluation of how these media work. Yeah. That is what they recognized is when you read that novel, when you go see that play, uh, and in, in our case, when you watch that film, you just are going to have things happen to you because a spell is being woven over you. Um, and what the church and most people have done at this point is say, in principle, that's an okay thing. In principle, it's okay to confront the kinds of artifacts that are just going to have a certain kind of effect on you. And, and the fact that it's going to have that certain kind of effect on you is not to say that you don't bring your critical faculties. It's not to say that there's no evaluative mechanisms that sort of come out of that experience and then say, you know, what do I really think about that? You know, the, clearly the film wants me to feel this way, but what do I actually think about that subject? Do I think it was, it was fair, et cetera? There's all those sorts of questions. Uh, the thing is, is I think nowadays what we, a lot of times what we see on the ground is a kind of shallow reading of how these mechanisms work. Yeah. So it's sort of like, uh, you know, if I write that book called The Scarlet Letter about with an adulteress in it, then we're normalizing adultery. That's the big concern. It's interesting. We think that's a lefty concern, sort of like, oh, look what you're normalizing. Yeah. It's also a very right-wing concern. Oh, look what you're normalizing. Now the gay character is showing up in every television program. You know, now, uh, now you know, this get, is getting representation and that is getting representation and there's an agenda behind it. And there's there's a lot of truth in that. There are people making decisions at high levels that are trying to put in representation, that are trying to normalize certain things, and that is all true. Um, but what is also true is that the, the final effect, the manner in which that actually works is mediated by what the thing itself is. Yeah. That is to say, you have to take the art piece kind of on its own terms, and whether it actually functions to normalize something, or, or actually functions if you know if you don't if you're not sort of disposed to normalize X, it might be that you confront that artifact and you say, I see that the author wants to normalize X, but I also see that uh, it's not successful in doing that because the way that it is talking about X, you know, this particular sinner's life or something like that, in the case of a biopic, for instance, yeah. the way that this is doing that is just showing a life, and all I see is a life, and actually this. When I look at this life and I see these details and I get inside this person's head, all I really come away with is, uh, I, I don't think this should be normalized at all. Actually, this seems kind of sad. Sure. <laughs> um, and it's actually a good, that actually shows in an interesting way, whatever the, the kind of intention of the maker is, that you've made a good piece of art. Uh, because uh, what I think what a what a bad piece of art is trying to do is to is to sort of didactically just shove something at you. Yeah. Uh, and I think the evangelical approach to art uh, and to these kinds of artifacts is very much like this. It tends to be um, we valorize and celebrate those persons who sort of who sort of like uh, uh, wax sentimental about you know sort of ethical standards we like or something like this. 
um, uh, and then get concerned when you see all those characters who don't act according to the ethical standards we like, because that's normalizing it and this is shoving righteousness. And I'm just, I'm really unpersuaded that that's how these things actually work. Um, and I'll give you an example. Like, you know, again, I don't think anybody ever, I don't think anybody ever read the Scarlet Letter, you know, and said, you know what, I'm going to go commit adultery now yeah. or something like that. Uh, but what's interesting is that on the one hand, I think we take, we take a kind of set of demands on the pieces of art. Like here are the things I don't want you to violate yes. and don't do this and you better say that and blah, blah, blah. And that's the headspace we come in. And so we fail to maybe take something on its own terms. So what's the story it's telling? What headspace is it trying to get me in? What does the world look like in there? And, and what's ironic is that we actually, because the reason we're doing that is we're afraid of being shaped in a certain way. We don't want it to charm us in some certain way. Uh, and so we kind of have our dukes up and we're ready to kind of resist its punches and block all the signals it's trying to send to us. And what's interesting is, is uh, uh, that's not the way usually it works in the first place. There's not no grain of truth in that. There is some agenda and yada, sure. yada, it works that way in the masses or whatever. But a lot of the ways that these images and film work is actually shaping you in a much more subtle and deep way. And so the example I always go back to is um, most of us have seen either in a novel or in a film, a, just a, a bazillion love stories, yeah. right? And they share varying shades of morality by Christian standards, but we've all seen a bazillion love stories. And there's a rough formula, you know, there's sort of flirtation and they're on again, off again, because that's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit sexy in the right. story. And then finally they're together or they break up if it's a tragedy or whatever. Um, nevertheless, What's interesting is almost always in any, especially in any big, big film industry thing, uh, it's a very attractive guy and a very attractive girl. That's what's gonna be on the screen. And that's the language of film. Like it, it, for, since film has started, we have been staring at attractive people. Yeah. And it's deeply, deeply affected human consciousness that we stare at attractive people this often. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a well-studied phenomenon. It's deeply effective. It deeply affects human consciousness. Um, and so that's the language. If we have a love story, it's between attractive people. And then you produce, you know, a generation of people who it's like, you know, you know, oh, well, if she's not a nine, then I just can't even, I mean, like, you know, yeah. this kind of thing. Uh, but then on the other side of that, it's like you all of a sudden we make Christian movies over here and they were making a Christian love story, you know, where they're not doing all the bad stuff, you know, but, uh, you know, the story is they're getting together and it's all, you know, there's still attractive man. Attractive exactly. Yeah. It's still, of course, it's a love story. So it's an attractive man and it's an attractive woman. And what's interesting is that message has been subtly internalized by us for generations and, and, and even like sort of Christian film industry stuff is playing right into it. And you say the same thing in the Christian music industry, right? It's sort of like, on the one hand, it sounds like it's sort of counter message. We can make the argument that it's counter message informing us differently. Uh, and yet it's mostly dominated by the same kind of therapeutic language and, and, and sort of approach to life and reality and godliness yes. that dominates all of our other ethics. It more deeply internalizes something in the name of resisting it. And, and some of this is just a basic failure, I think, to understand how these artifacts are working. Uh, and I think if you approach them on their own terms, uh, it doesn't mean 
It absolutely does not mean that you cease to be critical of them. And it doesn't mean there's some like universal standard where I can say, go listen to this music or watch those movies. Every Christian should be able to do that. That's a different question. Yeah. Whether that's wise or good or moral, that's a totally different question. Right. What we're talking about is just the phenomenality of the thing itself. If you watch a certain film or read a certain book and you kind of just let it do its thing, you're going to be moved in a certain way. Yeah. And, uh, and if you, in, in, in the real question comes in, then how does the godly wise person uh, sort of sit themselves It's the moving the passions, right? Passivity. It's the, it's the, you're being moved by a, by a magician, as it were, who's charming you into a certain headspace. Um, and then the evaluative faculties come in like, okay, I was sort of, sort of, sort of transfigured into this headspace. Now I'm out of it. Is that good? Yeah. Is that a good way to think? Is that what the world's really like? And what happens sometimes is some stories unexpectedly, even though they have an agenda in principle, what's interesting is to get inside of the story is to walk away saying, I don't think any of the things they're trying to do with this story really flow out of the story itself. Yeah. The story itself actually is just a story about a human being making decisions with the same strengths and weaknesses of every human being. And actually the moral lessons I infer from this are very different from what they want me to precisely because it's a good story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, in like zooming out a little bit, stories, I think what, what our temptation um, is, and let me not say our, perhaps what my temptation is, is to bring a set of standards, like I was talking about, to a story, a set of moral standards to a story through which I can discern who the hero of the story is. Right. Joseph Campbell's written a lot about the hero, uh, you know, hero with a thousand faces, he was the architect behind the hero's journey. Right. Sort of how they, how you can identify the hero. He must go through this. In every story arc, you find the same pattern that the hero follows. And you can look at and go, aha, there's the hero of the story. And that's good. We should recognize yeah. patterns. This is just wisdom. This yeah. is natural law. Yeah. This that's is right. just the way that humans exist in reality. Uh, but as modern age becomes much more complex and the cultural issues become much more difficult to parse, um, then if you're not engaging with stories on a deep visceral level of sort of internalizing the plot and thinking through all the tricky, hairy twists and turns of uh, what is going on here, then you can just come to simple conclusions like, well, this person didn't do this thing. So therefore we shouldn't, as Christians, that doesn't tell us anything. Yeah. Um, and the problem with that is, is that we move from reading books and watching movies and, and uh, you know, listening to music with that real simplistic rigid system of what a hero typically looks like. And then we sort of imprint that onto everybody's story in our real life. Right. Like if you don't look like this thing from a distance, yeah. if your story, if I move into Joe Minnick's story, right, which I did. Yeah. I've, I've come over here in Texas. I moved right all up into your story. Right here. Yeah, right. This is it. <laughs> but if I move into that and I'm holding you by, by just encountering each other, uh, and we have these standards of things. And by the way, 
what I'm not saying is Christians don't have standards. Yeah, of course. What I am saying is if I'm imprinting on you a particular understanding of what a hero should look like, right. and you fail to meet all those things, then I can sort of say, oh, this is because you're not a hero and you're weak. You need to be a better hero. Yeah. Um, and that misses the entire, the entire idea of stories. Yeah. Um, well, so a good example of that is like, you know, it's sort of like, yeah, I, I can see, I can see this working in both directions where it's sort of like there's stories about the guy who does the heroic thing. And, and film is, 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 a, is a great medium for this. It can tell the story about the guy who's like, honestly, an adulterer, you know, Schindler's List or something right. like that, right? The dude's an adulterer. Um, and yet he does do something quite heroic and it's impossible not to honor him over it like to, to feel like there is you sure. know, something heroic in this in this kind of tale and yeah, that's not saying go watch Cinder's list if you don't want to see that um and the other side you know the other side of that that i find interesting is that very often the people who best communicate the virtues in film and in literature aren't people that are trying to yeah they're just trying to capture life in, a, in an immediate way and as they try to capture life and its kind of joy and its flavor uh we all sort of can latch onto it and say, oh, good, look, they made the thing that we're sentimental about. So, you know, I think of like the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie Up, yeah. which are just this perfect sort of Pixar. If you don't cry with Up, you're, yeah. there's something wrong it's with you. It's this beautiful, right. beautiful 10, 15 minutes of a life. Sure. But you don't, the thing is, is the it's, it's funny because like, you know, I think on sort of our side of things, you know, a bunch of people sort of latch onto that. Oh, look, it should, this is so much obviously better than, you know, other lives that are out there, that sort of thing. Yes. But the, the reason that person was, seems to me, likely able to make that is not because they were sitting around thinking, I need to throw family values at the culture, yes. some, which is not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do. Yeah. I'm just saying the piece of art didn't come from the headspace of, I have this agenda that I need to accomplish, so let me make a piece of art that accomplishes that agenda. Rather, it was, y'all want to love and have a family and settle down and like we have hopes and those hopes are dashed and there's grievance in real life it was just being real about a real life that everybody could look at and say yeah it's basically a meaningful existence yeah like that's all that was the entire language it trafficked in and that's actually the most beautiful trafficking and that's the most beautiful language of film is precisely that it can traffic in that kind of language and that it can you know for instance another thing film can do and uh uh, I'd have to I have to think of examples. There's one example I'm thinking of with Michelle Williams, uh, or she has a dog, and I'm I'm forgetting the name of the film. Oh, uh, uh, um, yes, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. There's you a, might not know it, Michelle it's a, Williams and a dog. You'll find uh, <laughs> that's right. Uh, but it it, de it, de it depicts actually several acts of a kind of heroism, but they're so mild. Like the, the, the virtue. That yes. And this is where I want to dig into, but go ahead. Yeah, right, it, exactly. it takes, it takes uh, the virtue that it takes, you know, so part of what's going on with the heroes is that you, you're sort of seeing these characters do these great deeds. Right. Uh, and, and it's wonderful. Like we should have that, you yeah. know, so like the old war movies or whatever, that's good. Braveheart. Braveheart. I mean, absolutely. I mean, yeah. like, I'm not going to criticize Braveheart. Sure. Like, <laughs> you can turn the program off. Right, right, right. Like Braveheart. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> But, you know, we're always, you know, there's so these grandiose acts. And one of the things that film and literature, especially in kind of modern realist literature, is so good at doing is portraying uh, heroic levels of virtue 
that show up in really ordinary lives in really yes, small ways. Yes. Uh, and so, and I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing that I think the Christian imagination, especially ought to be very attuned to. And we also ought to be tuned to the fact, you know, there's a, in conservative circles, again, and I, and I value this, this, uh, this virtue very much. There's a lot of talk of like courage, right? Yes. There's a lot of talk about like, this is the moment where you're not, not, not time to sit down, time to fight, you know, that yes. kind of thing. That's true. There, yep. there's, there's, some, there's some real truth in that. Nevertheless, it's important to ask things like what, uh, you know, we're talking about media, the, the way media has shaped us. Our, your perception of what courage is didn't come to you in a vacuum. Yes. Your perception of what the competent man is that I should aspire to be is not some abstraction that you're moving toward. It's always encoded in a collection, whether explicit or tacit, yep. of exemplars. And I think that we need to look at like what generate, and I'm not trying to do the sort of Jesus and John Wayne thing, right? Yeah. Nevertheless, like we need to recognize like, you know, all these people running around talking about courage, what is the image of courage to them? If I were to look, if I were to look at the collection of a hundred people they considered courageous and aggregate from it, what I might infer is not necessarily a great commentary on courage. Yeah. What I might infer is a great commentary on their what their visceral association with courage was, which is then being enacted kind of dogmatically on the ground. Whereas you can go this other direction and say, this is the importance of stories. What the importance of stories does is it says, hey, look, look at this person that you would ordinarily think of as weak. Yeah. You would actually ordinarily pass by this person and you'd be like, ah, that guy, that guy yes. doesn't have a, that guy's whatever. Uh, that guy's not going to accomplish anything. And then you see, wait, no, you see that person in the context of a whole narrative. And again, this is Lewis, right? Yeah. The measure of the hero is not so much, as isn't quite the way he said it, but you can infer this from it. The measure of a hero is not so much like, what are all the externals? Yes. You know, uh, it's, it's rather how far in the journey did this person go? If they started over here and they're here, right. that might take a, the, a level of will and moral vantage point and, and genuine adventure of soul to, to achieve a result that for you looks very small. Right, right, right. So, and, and I think the, the New Testament is uh, pregnant with this message. Um, you know, we, we see there is a calling to men in particular, I think, in the modern age to sort of like, because masculinity is something that we just have to say uh, has been under assault through various mediums and various political uh, movements. In, it just has. Yeah, it's a the, it's but toxic. We, we talk about toxic, toxic masculinity, masculinity, but we don't talk about uh, 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 positive and virtuous yes. masculinity, and maybe one of in the non-trivial ways, at least. Yes, and maybe one of the temptations is to like feel the assaults on masculinity as men. Yeah, um, trying to lead families and just like exist, and we go, okay, they're assaulting my masculinity. It's time for me to be super masculine, and what that looks like is. X because I watched a movie where the most masculine figure was yeah. the dude covered in blood with the ripped wife beater and an AR-15 mowing people down yeah. that were coming to the And that's a profoundly village. unmasculine way to... Uh... Right, exactly. <laughs> because masculinity, and this is Thomas Aquinas, right? Like Aquinas talked about effeminate men 
um, as those that were carried away from the good by their passion. Those yeah. that ceased pursuing the good course because they were, like you were saying, affected by their passions. Like I get so wrapped up in trying to prove this thing that I actually end up doing bad things in the, uh, just because I move that way emotionally rather than keeping my head on and like trying to pursue the good. Yeah. And uh, this is what you just said there about like the ordinary everyday man and we had Mark Oliveira uh, and Matt Miller on, uh, was that the last one? That was the last one we did. It was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, talking about the power of biography. And we were talking about like, these are just ordinary people for the most part. And we'd like to see more biographies written about just ordinary people. Because in an ordinary person's life, their heroism might be expressed in the fact that they just have to actually get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. Like they have yeah. to like consciously tell themselves all I'm desiring, all of my passions, everything inside of me says, stay in bed. Your life is miserable. Nobody likes you. I hate the world. There's nothing out there. That's for a real me. lived. That's an actual internal world yes. of somebody yes. and because of 2020 and COVID we're seeing this mental all health thing all over the place yes, that's right. and so heroism in that context might look like this dude just getting out of bed putting on his tennis shoes and going for a walk around yes, the block right. because it's taking every ounce of his courage to face the thing that he just does not want to face at all Right. and when we measure that what, 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 and this goes back to what we we're talking about with standards. When we measure that, what we're, what we're doing is we're, we're casting a vision of what heroism looks like as the dude um, that just has everything, uh, has all of the courage that goes after the dragon and, and, you know, plunges the spear into the heart. And that is courage. But the dragon could be getting out of bed. Yes. The dragon could be a number of things in yes. the modern world that ordinary people struggle with. Right. And so um, that could be interpreted by some as weak. Like, oh, you're just weak. Yeah. What's the and matter with And there's, and with there's you? some truth to that. Like, it's like, sure. And this is where, you know, this is where the New Testament talks about weakness and God's power being and manifested. God's power being manifested, manifested through our weakness. Yes. It's, yeah, of course we're weak. Uh, everybody's weak in a certain sort of way. And some people's weakness is much more obvious than others and has real life implications like one thing you and i aren't saying is like the dude who can barely get out of bed and is, can just make it down the street we're saying like through a christian lens and really i think that's also just a rational lens <laughs> um i think you could look at that dude and look at his whole his or her whole story and say you know in the context of this story that's actually quite a heroic act. Yes. Now there's other stories where if that's all you can do, that's, hey buddy, that's not quite heroic. Maybe we should yes, go you all need, the way around. You actually need to man up. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. And, and, but, that's, but, it, but that's never decontextualized entirely from the story. And, yes. and that's the key. And, 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 yes. and the other key there is we're not necessarily the best at reading that. Where we draw the line is deeply shaped by a, a bundle of impressions and pressures and, 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 and sort of a, 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 a tendencies to need to prove ourselves. Yeah. Um, but Which is not necessarily a bad thing. Like it's, it's okay if you need to prove yourself. 
uh, to the world, because that just means that you're trying to live up to the vision that you have of yourself in your community. And that's just becoming what God is calling you to be. So it could be perverted. In, in other words, yeah. Joe's blinking. I know when Joe blinks, I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> do we disagree? Right, right, right. And that's okay if we do. Yeah, yeah of course. Uh, what I'm saying is, it's okay if you have a if if you feel like you're not living up to the thing that God has called you to be, and you move out with an intent desire to accomplish the goals that you think God is calling you to. He's equipped you with all these gifts. He's given you all these things, and you're just like not giving it what you should be giving it. Yeah. And you sit down at night and you're like, are you really giving everything? Like, are you, could you do more, Dale? Yeah, right. Duh, I can do more. Right. And so I need to actually go out there and people notice your talents and people invest in you and they're giving you confidence and, and, and right. they're expecting things out right. of you. And I need to go out there and I need to prove this, but I need to prove it in a healthy way, which is just to me, which is just to say like, we meet, we, we give the energy towards fulfilling our potential that we can give it. And when we don't give it, we don't beat ourselves up, but we consciously recognize I can give more. And when people call you to your potential, you shouldn't feel harmed, but if they're calling you to something that they've, uh, a standard that they've designed in their head because they don't actually understand your particular story, they're not involved in your particular context, right. they don't have a way to frame you um, graciously, and they're just like, you need to do blah, because I think you should do blah, because my vision of what men are is blah, when, when, if they do that, then that's not wise. Yeah. And what we're, I, I think what you and I would agree on and what we're trying to say is um, there's not, you can't actually call people to something unless you understand their entire, not their entire story, but at least, but if you can't understand their story in some capacity yeah. to understand where they're still struggling, yep. then and that's not where you struggle. Right. So you actually. It's its really to say, I think, like what it looks like for somebody to be moving toward the good. Yeah. Is highly inflected through whatever their story is. And so like, you know, it's people like Jordan Peterson who say things like this, right? Like, yes. don't compare yourself to that guy over there. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday. yesterday yeah. and, and it's really a, a, to, to be to be moving on in repentance and godliness is largely a matter of you know, our friend Jim again, you know, yes. largely a matter of movement, yep. uh, largely a matter of movement toward Christ. And you see, uh, and so again, for that guy, it might be the person who, guy or girl, that might be a person who, who, who sits up out of bed and walks around the block. That might be a movement yes. toward a healthy ordered life for that person. Uh, and that might be a movement toward godliness for that person. And, and, they should feel all the pleasure of the Holy Spirit at that movement. Yes. And that's not saying again, um, uh, 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 that person is going to be an elder tomorrow, right? right? You know, we're not saying like you can only make it to the end of the block and you have Jesus's grace in your life. <laughs> right. So there's political realities of being an elder. Being an elder requires a certain sort of, sort of, uh, it requires a certain kind of external competence yes. that is important for the task of governing a church and this sort of thing. Um, but what it does mean is, is that, nevertheless, the, the kind of story of the hero that we can look up to and learn from 
is a story that, that, that belongs in some sense to all Christians. All, Christi all Christians have gifts to offer the church. Uh, and this is, this is uh, you know, your, your spiritual gift again. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting this from my good friend, Jim, who yes. Dale and I just uh, met our, we're talking yes. to our friend, Jim Popkin. And I love Jim. Jim, yeah, Jim, Jim and I, and Jim and uh, Dale and I had a really good time. Yes. Uh, but, uh, you know, one of his themes is sort of like your spiritual gift comes out of your story. It's not yeah. like you just get this light beam of you're a giver, you're a this, you're a that. Uh, rather, these are types of people. You know, there are types of people who might be using these things for very sinister ends, but rather God is, you know, inflected through your actual life narrative, growing something in you that you have to give to the church. And, and the Christian has always had their eyeball on this. I mean, this is why, uh, you know, you know, even in old traditions where you're doing the lives of the saints, very often they're just ordinary people. Yeah. You know, that's the story. Um, another thing I think I'd want to, I guess I want to double down on. Oh no, let me let me get back to this notion of proving ourselves. Okay. So just to, just to clarify, sure. Uh, I do think like there's a sociological sense in which you do have to prove yourself in a particular way if you're just trying to 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 gain respect in a certain kind of community. So you go to a job, you better show up on time. You better be a blessing to your boss. You show that you're the helpful one. You've proved you're, you've proven yourself. Therefore, you get the promotion. That's a reality. But there's a there's a type of when I use the language of uh, you know something rooted in proving ourselves more what I mean is is like uh, we get a kind of insecure like I don't want to be that thing right mm. and so like the classic well there's plenty of classic examples but it's like I don't want to be a not masculine guy so here's all the things that look masculine so let me just hyper right. move toward all of those in this kind of shallow external performative way right. so that I'm mostly persuading myself yes and scratching an insecurity that I'm not one of those guys who isn't doing the real thing with the real men that happens all the time with these fragile egoed males like us yes yeah, exactly. <laughs> because yeah. that's just males are fragile egoed in a lot of ways and so there's there's an identity construction going on there that's always part of it and and you even see that on the other side you know it's like you know the other side of that is is the guy who's like well i'm really a male because i'm defending women or something like that so I'm yeah really the white great. knight is yeah, yeah right and so right. there's this other we're all we're sort of scripting ourselves as right, like the right, real right, the right. real virtue of masculinity and even here. with uh and even in the uh you know uh gay community douglas murray um i think is a prime example of this when hmm. when he says like in the gay community you actually in order to be accepted, you have to like say all the right gay things and you have to, and this is a gay man yeah. writing this book, uh, um, The Chaos of uh, Crowds. Oh, the Madness of Crowds? The Madness yeah, of Crowds, right. sorry, yeah. The Madness of Crowds. Um, and he's saying like, and if you don't toe the gay line, then you're not really a gay guy, yeah. right? Even if the guy's gay. Yeah. Um, and so in that sense, you could be called to prove yourself in that, in that, context right as a truly gay dude and so the gay uh, the young gay guy that's coming up he might think okay i gotta go do all these things that are really gay yes uh, in order to be accepted yes it becomes a it becomes there's a there's a hyper performativity that becomes nature right and so perform performance can become nature in a certain way through habituation yes and um you know the other thing i i guess what i was saying earlier or trying to start up earlier was I think that I'd want to double down on is, uh, <laughs> so I've made this claim that, that, that sometimes, you know, sort of, sort of authors of various 
cultural artifacts, film or a, a novel or something like this. Sometimes they are trying to like shove you into a certain headspace. They're trying to motivate you in some way. Like that's part of what they're after is to motivate you to make a certain kind of moral judgment. Yeah. Um, what and I'm not and I'm not arguing that the intentions of the authors or the community that produced this thing don't matter. They matter very much. Uh, what I'm nevertheless arguing is is that a good good art, interestingly, to to become good art that translates so well in the human community, and that's what good art tends to do. Is like you know sometimes we see abstract art and we're like, eh, that's ridiculous. But sometimes we see one and we're like, I don't know why, but this translates well just to everybody. Everybody yeah. encounters it and it just spreads like wildfire. Yes. And a good artist knows how to kind of strike that language where it translates across communities of people and touches them in this visceral way, uh, and. In order to do that, even if you have an agenda, like I want to get them in this headspace so that they'll make this particular moral or cultural or political judgment. In order to do that, though, you can't be that heavy handed. You know, you can't be saying this is the gay film that's trying to get you to think this thing about the gays or something like right, that. Right. You know, that's that's that is the movie that everybody's going to watch and be like, oh, like right. move and like it's an agenda. Uh, what you have to do is just make a story about people. Yes. And when you just make a story about people, the thing is, uh, the thing the thing is, is like your authorial intent has to kind of smash into this form. It has to be communicated into the in this kind of more universal language. Yes. But once you enter that universal language, what people can fairly authentically draw from where this is going, because when you where this is going is quite different. Because in other words, it may maybe another way of saying this is this: to to make a really good story and a really good piece of art, you have to smash your thing into the shape of something like reality, because yeah. that's what actually makes it universal. But once you do that. Because reality is what it is and is not what it's not, the actual kind of arrows that are pointing by means of that story are very often away from what you yourself want those arrows to be. Yeah. And I and I think that's a that's a fascinating and, and, that, and that works in both directions. So it's like there's that film that you might or book that you might be like, I don't know, that's a dangerous thing to read. And then you read it and you're like, um, no, this was actually very insightful. This helped me understand something. On the other hand, there's that moral tale that on the surface, you know, looks really good and kind and whatever. Um, and yet what it's suggesting about reality in a deeper way, in a structural way, you know, you take these Christian movies, again, example, you know, the, the fight the giants or whatever it is, the, 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 there's a couple of brothers, I think they make a couple of these movies. Right. And all of the movies are, they're, they're bad stories. They really are. They're not real. Like no lives actually look anything like this. Uh, uh, and, and the solutions to real problems are never this smooth. Yeah. That's not what it's ever like. And so it really is just scratching a, oh good, I watched a moral tale itch that, you know, is, you know, you know I, I was able to consume a thing that was sentimental about things I care deeply about and it's a, you know, it has consumptive value in that sense, but it it's, has not, no real... it's not shaping the imagination right. Right. Uh, in a, in a, in any real way. Yes. And often, I guess what I'm trying to argue there is, is the capacity of good pieces of art, good cultural artifacts to shape the imagination is greater than, than merely the personal thoughts of the author. And the example I think about with this, and maybe I've, I might've mentioned this on Pilgrim Faith before, 
maybe more than once. But N.K. Yemison is the author of this Bro Broken Earth trilogy that won three consecutive Hugo Awards. Uh, she's an African-American sci-fi author, female, which is pretty remarkable there. I mean, females have written sci-fi for a long time, but you know, sort of three consecutive Hugo Awards, very remarkable. So I read these books and they're really interesting. They describe uh, kind of a phenomenology of oppression at a literary level, like sort of what would it be like to live in the, have the experience of somebody where the world looked this way? What kinds of judgments would I form? And it puts you in the head of somebody living with a, with a range of these kinds of very, it's very good world building, really complex and deep historical systems of oppression. Uh, and it really is very helpful for just putting, shoving you into the headspace, getting charmed into the headspace, where you say, you know what, if I, it's not that like there's any excuse for A, B, and C if you feel this thing, but if I honestly, with an ordinary range of human virtues, had this collection of experiences, my tendency would be to do this yeah. and to think this way yeah. and vice versa. Uh, but when, what's interesting is when this same author uh, goes on Twitter and starts talking about politics at a theoretical level, I think she's profoundly non-insightful. It's all cookie cutter kind of, kind of uh, uh, you know, you know uh, 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 critical theory, just sort of jargon, yeah. uh, which I don't think parses up reality. And not, not never, but for the most part, I don't think it parses up reality in that illuminating of a way, especially if it's coming from a place of resentment. Sure, and it's anger. just kind of like boring. Yes, and, yeah. uh, again, especially when it's kind of, it seems a little fueled by anger. But, but putting that in a literary key, yes. putting that in the key of like, here's just what it feels like to be alive to me, you know, putting it that way is actually very helpful and insightful because now you know what you're working with because again, it's just talking about what it's like to be a human being with this collection of contingencies. Right. And that's what literature does is it opens the imagination, helps you sort of fuse those horizons. And that doesn't mean your theories or your critical judgment goes away. Uh, but it's nevertheless, uh, sometimes it's, it's films with characters that are the least sympathetic to us or stories with characters that are least sympathetic to us, maybe not heroes, maybe they're villains at the end of the day, but that are the most useful for us because they, they're villains in ways that we might be villains. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, you know, you know what, if I were, you know, uh, Thomas Hardy is wonderful. You know, you read Jude the Obscure, Tess of Durbervilles or however you say that. Yeah. Uh, and, and all Thomas Hardy is trying to do is say, here's a life. Um, and if you were in these circumstances, buddy, don't, don't be too impressed with yourself. Cause the yes. idea that you would be better than this guy and he's not that sympathetic at the end of the day, there's things he does that aren't very sympathetic, but the idea that you're obviously going to do something different. Uh, you, you, you rather walk away from a story like that saying, Oh boy, there, before the grace of God would, would go on. Yeah. You know, you know and I think uh, this is why Jesus is the greatest um, example of the ideal of the of the hero right i mean in his context jesus is like sympathetic to women yeah even even and it's you know we go, i know that there's arguments about the woman at the well was she really uh, an adulteress i think the general consensus up to this point is like yes she was yeah um so just let's take the worst possible uh reading of of the woman at the well and say yes she's a horrible adulteress the way that Jesus dealt with her 
he would have been criticized by the religious figures for like putting up with the trash. Like if you were a man, if you were the real hero, then you would have drug her before the Sanhedrin so we could stone her. And even in the context of the woman that was about to get stoned and Jesus sort of, you know, uh, writes something in the sand and draws everyone's attention to their own sin. Like Jesus is flipping norms during that time period yeah. in the world all on their head. Yeah. And I could imagine um, a, a certain cross section of that culture looking at him and going, wait a minute, this is not the, this is not the King of Israel. The King of Israel, the story of the King of Israel yeah. as we know it looks like this. Yep. You couldn't possibly be that because you don't match up to all the things that we think you yeah. should be. This isn't masculine enough. Yeah, yeah right. That's right. And he doesn't check all the boxes off to match the hero or the king. Yep. Um, yep. And so this is why I think Jesus is really gives us the grid. And that's for what we should be looking at when we talk about stories as we're sort of winding down here in general. And we should be looking at individual stories and we should be deeply interested in getting to know what is actually, what's happening in the story of Dale Stember. Yes. What's happening in the story of Joseph Minnick and what are the things that they could be considered heroic when they overcome? Yeah, you and I have been talking a lot about uh, Daryl Davis. Yeah. You know, this, this African-American gentleman who, um, and I think I mentioned him on the program several times. Cause I, I, you know, he's a hero of mine. He yeah. really is. You know, this guy, uh, helped 200 people come out of the KKK. And uh, there's a, a documentary about him called accidental courtesy. And it's very fascinating because, you know, what, what was so fascinating in the documentary portrayal is he never, you know, and this is important. He never doesn't say the truth. Yeah. He never doesn't say like, hey, I find this kind of racist ideology detestful or, det or you know, gross. Like, you know, he's very upfront about that very early in his relationships with these men. But what he also does is say, you're just a dude. Like the way he approaches people is you're just a guy. And at the end of the day, human beings are human beings. The reason you're caught up in things is the reason most people, given your story, would get caught up in things. And so let me just sit here and I'm gonna figure your story out. I'm gonna to listen to you talk about what you're worried about. I'm gonna to listen to you talk about how you got involved in the first place. And he's, and he's getting in touch with these people's story and he has his own story and his people, his heritage has a story and he brings those together. Uh, and, and as it turns out, uh, he, just, he just wins them through the overwhelming power of, of this, this story sharing thing that is friendship. I and mean, that's an interesting way of thinking about friendship is that it's a fusion of our stories together. Yeah. And what he tries to do is enter their story with his own. And uh, he's going to fuse into theirs, whether they like it or not, yeah. as, as long as they just don't kick him away. Yeah. Uh, so as long as they don't absolutely say, go away, <laughs> yes. he's that persistent guy who's yes. going to stick around. Um, and what's interesting, though, is just that you know, you're at some point you wind up motivating people by their virtues. You know, you you wind up you wind up confronting somebody in a story, and you see, you know, you're not just this. You're also a dignified son of Adam. Yeah. You're also the structure that you are. What you also are is this thing. Uh, and what I want to do is summon that. I want to charm that out of you. I want to be the voice that's affirming that thing in you. 
so that your soul literally c.s lewis talks about you know peter with a you know peter gets his little sword and he looked kingly yeah. what i want to do is uh, 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 throw throw uh, 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 kindling on the fire of whatever is kingly in you yeah. and watch that just flower and when you feel the dignity of that you're going to feel by contrast the grossness of the path you've taken in this other area uh, and I guess the point that we're trying to make is you can't do that if the first Im if the first instinct is to like take all the things that make you your hero in your in your story and then impute it on this person and expect them to react the same way that you right. do because yeah. that's just not the that's, way. Yeah, is. that's not the way reality works. Right. Yeah. And I think that this is this is just what we're basically talking about is just wisdom. This is just basically being a wise person uh, that you move towards others in a recognition that they're all coming from their own context with their own stories and they're all struggling with certain things. And it doesn't diminish the fact that we can call sin, sin absolutely, or promote virtue where it's clear yep. or to be very direct and plain in the way that we are discipling people in our life or the way that we receive discipleship, right. but that it takes more color than just simply saying, here's what it looks like. Well, when do you, you know, the big question to me, like the money question is, when do you write somebody off? Yeah. And what's interesting in this documentary with Daryl Davis is at the end, he's, he's talking to, you know, come moments where he's talking you know, here's an african-american gentleman talking to people from the southern poverty law center or he's talking to some early uh early activists in baltimore that were part of the black lives matter movement and the people in the black lives matter movement just couldn't stand his project because yeah. the, not i'm not saying this about all blm sure. persons it's just the particular persons that were interviewed in this in this program uh but what's interesting about them as individuals is their thought was like white supremacists can't be changed like yeah. that's just that's just uh, those people are beyond redemption. And what he's trying to persuade them of is no, they're not because they're just people yep. just like you. And then you can, you know, in both directions need to hear that. The thing that you're afraid of, that guy that is like the, you know, kind of the epitome of evil to you, most of the time, they're just people. They can be demonic. Yep. Like they can go out into the world and be demonic. But uh, when you befriend people and you actually move into their story in a more full-orbed, entire-personed way, again, it's not that he ever didn't say, like, hey, I think your ideology is detestable. Yeah. That was very straight up. But he also, I think, realized you're not just your ideology. That's not what any person is, is just an ideology. Yes. Um, and so uh, I think that's... You know, I say this all the time because I think in our time, especially, I think in America right now, this is this is our deepest moral crisis in some way, in my judgment. And that is, is I think that we are all deeply ideologues. And I'm speaking of myself. Like yeah. I really think that we look at people, and what we really see at the end of the day are collections of ideas, come collections of actions, and that's just what they are. Um, and especially when we try to have communities separated from them, they want their community over there. That's that's all they seem like even because that's literally all the contact we have with them. You know, it's fascinating to me that uh, very often the people who are, you know, sort of prognosticating the worst results and the worst, you know, whatever that's going to happen out there in the world are the people that are actually least invested, you know, skin mm. in the game, if you will. They're the least invested in communities where they're around people like that, that they know in thicker ways. Yeah. Uh, and where they actually say, you know, what, there's something valuable in this person yes. and I want to affirm their virtues. Yeah. And I think, 
just a last closing thing. Absolutely. Uh, but I think that a lot of pastors, a lot of elders will agree with you and I here because what elders do, good elders that deeply care about their flock that are, like you said, invested in their church, they're going to understand that everybody comes and they all have their own story yeah. and you have to deal with this couple that struggles with this thing or this mother that's struggling with her son in this way or this father that's dealing with these vices in this way and that the movement towards the good away from the bad whatever that looks like as long as there's movement as long as there's it uh you know a pursuit of the good and a turning away from the bad then the pastor celebrates with those people. He celebrates with them like, oh, God's spirit's working inside of you. And as we're working together and I'm watching you grow in the Lord, I'm rejoicing that Jesus has actually taken a hold of your life. Yeah. And I think we all need to think more pastorally, I guess is what you and I are sort of saying in terms of story is to say where people begin we need to evaluate their growth according to where they actually start yeah. and that it doesn't all look the same. Right. While we're all called to the same standard of morality that's given to us by God in nature and in the scriptures, what that movement towards that looks like. And it's not just morality for the sake of morality. Right. We're not just, it's just, it's really ultimately movement toward God. It's movement towards God yeah, that's it. by faith. Yeah. When you see people move towards God by faith, we should rejoice in that. Yeah. And we should be humble in recognizing that we don't possess all the, all of the, uh, data necessary to make an accurate judgment about what that movement really looks like. And again, this is where we'll sort of like come full circle here. It's like, because in our weaknesses, God's power is made manifest. Yeah. And this was the, this is, you know, bringing it full circle as we're closing here. Um, this was why the, the kind of Queen's Gambit thing was annoying to yeah. me. Is it sort of like, what I actually found quite it's precisely what this person found weak about it. I found it quite powerful is sometimes the hero's story uh, is the story about the person who partially for the sake of their friends, just people who love this person. So if you're a, there, there've been plenty of people who are surrounded by family and friends who love them very deeply and they're just concerned about them. And all the community wants out of this person is just to get it together a little bit. Yes. If you can just not harm yourself, uh, and, and this is this is more common than people think. That's another thing we need to say. It sounds like you know, we're just trying to talk about the 0.001%. We're really not. Right. We're talking about something that's much more common than people think. And there's a lot of people out there that honestly, um, what is for the community is precisely to to try to 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 basically order themselves such that maybe their one gift manifests. And in this case, this person had an extraordinary gift. That yeah. was the other thing is, is that actually there's a beauty in a game like chess and actually being a beautiful chess craftsperson uh, 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 and playing a beautiful game is its own contribution to the human race that gives joy and adorns, you know, adorns, uh, 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 you know, creation with, yes. the, with the splendor of rationality. <laughs> yes. uh, so, you know, it has its own virtues. <laughs> Um, take us out, brother. Yes, yes. Where are we at with uh, chess, by the way? I think I'm. Je Joe's uh, probably up like six to three. I think. No, no. I think we're actually even. I think we're three, three. 
he's just being nice. There. And we're, we're also being pressured, not pressured, but uh, we do want to encourage everyone to head over to the YouTube channel. Um, uh, you can find that uh, at davenantinstitute.org and go to Pilgrim Faith. That'll have a link. Um, and subscribe and like and share the YouTube channel. We'd appreciate that very much. Uh, we're also on Facebook, so you can look us up on Facebook. We have a group and you guys can interact with us. So feel free to join the group and ask questions or ask clarifying questions about an episode or just start a conversation that you're interested in. Um, yeah, but uh, until then, uh, Joe, love you, brother. Love you too, man. And we will see you guys next time. See you later.